and welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host Nick. Hello! The premise of our show is very simple. For each week we have carefully picked two films, which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find where their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on a particular area of expertise, Golden Age of Hollywood, um, and the other is chosen by my co-hosts, which is from their specialty. So that would be anything from 1970s New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. Cool. The, the only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other person. Today, we shall be talking about film noir. Um, I just wanted to start today's podcast by sharing this quote that I found from uh, Vivian uh, Sobchak's essay called Lounge Time, Post-War Crisis and the Chronotope of Film Noir. We will add the link in the show notes for that one. I was just about to say that. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, the noir world of bars diners and seedy hotels of clandestine yet public meetings in which domesticity and kinship relations are subverted, denied and undone, a world of little labour and less love, of threatened men and sexually and economically predatory women, this world, concretely part of wartime and post-war American culture, realises a frightening reversal and perversion of home and the coherent, stable, idealized and idyllic past of pre-war american patriarchy and patriotism um so yeah that will be in the show notes as nick said um to say i'm a big fan of film noir is a bit of an understatement um last november i think i celebrated November by watching a noir film every day i think uh, i started that i think i, I literally i legitimately started that um and i think i got a day into it and then forgot so that's you know oh. um <laughs> some 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 noir films that i watched that month i had seen and some i hadn't so among among the ones that i hadn't seen before was the film that we are going to discuss on today today's podcast um in a lonely place directed by nicholas ray from 1950 um i'm going to give you a short synopsis um a potentially violent screenwriter is a murder suspect until his lovely neighbor clears him. However, she soon starts to have her doubts um, on his innocence. Um, Bogart, Humphrey Bogart, plays the screenwriter and Gloria Graham plays a neighbor, um, Laurel Gray. Um, spoiler alert, of course. Before I delve in, I just wanted to ask... Before so, before I start singing praises to Bogart, Gloria Graham, and Nicholas Ray, Nick, what did you think of the film? Um, what? So I I guess start with a question here. What was with Hollywood in 1950 that it had to treat its screenwriters so poorly in films? Um, because this and Sunset Boulevard both came out in 1950. Um, Sunset Boulevard obviously ended with our screenwriter hero dead in a swimming pool 
and this <laughs> one ended with um him kind of being a violent ill-tempered neurotic person um but it's, I don't know I like think maybe it has saying... some it has some some truth to it maybe the Maybe the screenwriters of 1950s were losing their minds. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the kind of what I got from it is that, you know, the version of the dream of Hollywood that these two films are kind of selling is that Hollywood will suck you in and spit you out um, post-war. And, you know, it's... I just thought it was quite interesting. I was, you know, it was like, 1950 this came out, huh? Oh yeah, Sunset Boulevard but came out in nineteen fifty. Yeah, and, and then yeah. Thought, oh, um, on, well, I think I, it, I think well. you hit the the nail on the head with this one because it's true that I think after the war, all these American dream stories were kind of turned on their heads because, like like the quote said, this there there's too much broken broken dreams and and like miss missed opportunities and and like the the core values of the american wholesome family are not no longer there um they will have to be repaired and sometimes they don't get repaired it's it's yeah there's there's too much debris behind left behind i think i think that's what it's trying to sort of paint it's an interesting okay. one because on the whole I mean, if you take these two films in in particular, yeah, it's true. They they paint this very very but uh, bad portrait of Hollywood. Um, maybe it's kind of lifting the mirror up to Hollywood itself, and goes to show that all these decades, nineteen twenties, thirties, and forties, they have to sort of somehow pay it back. Yeah, I mean, in in comparison to the last week's film, where. You know, we had a, a happy ending after a, a sad story. Well, yeah, um, we had a you know we had a, a, a an ending word which I wasn't too happy about. But and that was you know what what forty seven forty six. Forty six. Okay, so my argument there is kind of void because I was going to say oh you know that's pre war so no, you know, no but at the same time know, it was, I think they were I trying just, to sort I don't of know have if you see what I mean the, like yeah I do. I think towards the big nineteen fifty towards the beginning of nineteen fifties, I think the whole system, the Hollywood studio system, was starting to crumble from within. Um, I think that is kind of what we're starting to see here. Um, very little, but these are two kind of isolated cases. Um, because they were still trying to make make wholesome American films, but I think yeah. 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 I think these were isolated cases, which kind of stuck out like sore thumbs, if you want, um, from the whole, you know, three-act formulaic films where everyone gets what they want at the end. Yeah, I mean, I just, honestly, I just thought it was it was quite an interesting... No, it's a very um, good point you're making. Um, I probably should make that my next subject for my thesis. <laughs> work my way through the decades. <laughs> um... Yeah. So did you uh, like it? Yeah, no, I did. Um this is the f we have had we've had lots of discussions in the past in our long and illustrious history of our eight episodes that we've done, nine episodes that we've done, uh where we've spoken about our love of Tia, uh, treasure of uh, Sierra Madre. 
Um, yes. And Bogart's performance in that, um, we've had discussion in the past about how I see that as a villainous performance. You see it as more sympathetic, if I remember rightly. Um, I think, yeah, I not wholly sympathetic, but I felt he was, you know, a man down on his luck, and then he becomes, he just descends into, into avarice, into okay. like the the worst part of his humanity just like the monster the, the mr hyde sort of shows up at the end yeah um and i thought that film captured it very well and i think this film does that too yeah and Bo- um, bogart in this is he is he is quite i mean it was quite he's very unnerving the way he's shot the lighting of him makes him look i quite know human um and he like he comes across he's like it's almost as though he's like a more twisted and violent version of Rick from Casablanca. Like, um, you know, he's, there's some decency under there, but it's it's kind of simmering. It's just it's just yeah. so far hidden, um, and because you know these like, these outbursts come out, you know, he's you know like I said a violent, ill-tempered, neurotic, and unpleasant, um, and he's got. Like the situation in the film is that he's obviously been accused of this murder, and and the girl he's dating, his next door neighbor, he she starts to think that he is the, you know, he is the murderer, but it's just because he's a violent man and he's unstable. But because of her paranoia, he becomes more violent, and because he gets more violent, she gets more paranoid, and it just escalates, escalates, escalates. And then when we get the answer of who actually did kill Mildred, you know, it, mm. it's it's too late for Laurel and Dix. I mean, it, I know, it's, that's... it's a bleak ending and they say that it should have come yesterday. But to be honest, even if it did come yesterday, the news was probably come, you know, did more damage than, you know, did more more damage. Like it, it that it, it, it kind of it did the the vertigo thing of of like showing the showing the hand before you know before the end so you, you the audience knows the twist before you know the the main characters and as such you know it makes it more tragic and ends on such a down note and um <laughs> you know i i it, it is like a a kick in the nuts almost um <laughs> you know like like I know. Like, um, Would you like, have had it any other way, though? No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I admired it because I was quite surprised about that it did end in the way it did, and, um, you know, like, I. So the guy that actually did kill Mildred Kessler, he shot himself off screen in, in supposedly, from what the surgeon implies, he shot himself in the chest, but he missed his yes. heart. So his heart is actually intact. So even though the murder doesn't get his reprieve, his heart isn't broken. Whereas the lovers end up broken-hearted and alone. Yep. Um. Yep. And I thought that was that was a very, uh, it's a lovely bit of a bit of a uh, bit of rhyming going on there. Irony, yeah. Irony, yeah. Um, oh. yeah. Um. I mean, Gloria Graham is is just stunningly beautiful. Um. Yet there was like. There was something about her which kind of makes me almost question whether she'll make it in Hollywood as an actress. And I'm saying that as her character in the film, um, which, to be honest, is quite weird, considering that, you know, her roles after this aren't as high profile. 
um, following this as really they should have been. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've got some words to say on that. I do. Um, yes. I mean, finally, I, I, the that line, um, I was born when she kissed me. I died when she left me. I lived a few weeks while she loved me. I know. And that's just, just. It's oh. brilliant. It's brilliant. It is. I mean, that, that should be that should be that should be put in the the Museum of Modern Art. Yeah, I um, know. It is. It, it it's it's an incredible line. It's probably the best line of the whole film. And yeah, and many other and many other films like it. Yeah, the, the you know it was. It is. It is just really good. I mean, it is really really good. And um. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, um, I, I was I was very impressed. I was very very impressed with it, and um, Bogart's performance is is utterly. I know that else. man. Oh. Something else. What can you say about? I mean, I was just thinking that he, I think his breakthrough roles. There there've been quite a few small breakthrough roles throughout his career. Um. I, you know, the Petrified Forest was a good one, 1935 or 1936. Um, he was good in that. Um, he had a few, like, uh, Marked Woman. He was relatively okay, but he didn't have much to work with. I think High Sierra was one of his, like, leading role films. Um, all in all, I think less than 20 years of, of proper career. Um, and yet, he is the best. He is just like the most amazing actor. He always comes on top, like the most number one American actor in in Golden Age of Hollywood. Um, I think I think like he is like we we've we've long established that Golden Age of Hollywood is not my forte. It's by far you know it's the whole point of this podcast. Um, <laughs> but I've seen more Humphrey Bogart films. I've seen six. I've seen a grand total of six Humphrey Bogart <laughs> films, and um. The yeah, I it you know I will be not, I would be fine if we just kept having more Bogart. Yeah, that's the 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 shame is that he only had twenty years of active active roles. Um, he died in nineteen fifty seven. Um, seven years after this film was made. Um, it was just yeah, he was his life was cut short. He could have probably been even greater. I think. Um, I grew up loving Humphrey Bogart because mom, my mom's one of my mom's favorite films was Casablanca, and it's just you know um, it's legendary. So on that note, um, I'm just gonna start a bit of an analysis. Um, what I found interesting in the film, um, although it it does have noir elements, I found it a bit more of a psychological drama than a noir. Um, I liked the idea that you compared it to Treasures of the Sierra Madre because that also has a lot of psychological drama elements to it. Both great performances um, by Bogart. Um, it helps, of course, that he has that face. I know Garbo, Greta Garbo was called the face, but he has some face on him and that cinematography just is, is mind-blowing. Um... I love the line that Gloria Graham gives on uh, at the beginning of the film. I said I liked it, talking about his face. I didn't say I wanted to kiss it. It was just very, very seductive and very, like, good flirty, like, amazing flirty. Um, expositionally, I thought it was very good the way they've 
sort of given ideas of the character um, Dixon Steele, the screenwriter, um, by showing scenes from the other characters. I love the argument between the detective and his wife um, talking about him. Um, there's a quote, he's exciting because he's not normal. It's just, I thought that was really brilliant portrayal. Um, makes a good parallel with when towards the end the um, Dixon's agent, Mel, asked Laurel if she had liked him if he were normal. Um, that if he weren't as violent and impulsive as he was, so I thought that was that was, it raised quite a few interesting points with regards to a person's character. You love him, you fall in love with him, but then you kind of want him to change, and you want him to sort of give up the parts of the things that he you love. At the same time, I'm not saying that she should have stuck with him through thick and thin because he was very very violent and he definitely needed help. Um. Interesting fact, uh, I was doing a bit of research on this. Um, in her essay, Humphrey and Bogey, Lewis Brooks wrote that more than any other role that Humphrey Bogart played, it was the role of Dixon Steele in this movie that came closest to the real Bogart she knew. Whoa, imagine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why how he had any friends at all. Uh, but it is true that he, the the wife he had before he married Lauren Bacall, uh, May Metho, um, they were they were named in the press the the battling Bogarts because they used to both get like stupid drunk and like beat each other up to the point where they needed stitches, they needed hospital care, both of them. Um, yeah, I think she was her his third wife. Yeah, and Bacall was his fourth wife uh so you kind of see the resemblance with real life bogart um like you said uh gloria graham is fascinating she has i i was watching her and i was trying to sort of figure out how how she came across and she has like a quiet sensuality about her and and a polite sweetness but also kind of menacing it's it's kind of dangerous in a, in a very sweet kind of way and it immerses you into the story so well that when when she kind of starts to doubt her own mind you start to doubt it too yourself as as a viewer uh she's gorgeous um she was married um to nicholas ray at the time the director um i thought her performance was a bit of a, a combination of rita hayworth and jean moreau it is a criminal pity that she's not more famous she deserves to have all the fame and she deserves all the accolades she she could ever have um i thought that the, the narrative was very well done how all the evidence kind of pointed to to um nixon steel being the culprit um i do think that the shooting script had his character actually um murder laurel at the end and then oh. director Nic yeah director nicholas ray shot a new ending um because he wasn't pleased with the scripting the scripted ending he didn't want to think that violence was the kind of only way out of um a situation like that uh and i thought the ending was perfect i'm going to talk a bit more about it in a minute um i think i i personally find uh, the character of of dixon steel heartbreaking from start to finish I think Nicholas Ray does an excellent job of 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 getting in under the skin of his character and 
and just seeing it on his face, I don't know how, what directions he gave to Bogart or just because Bogart knew exactly what to do with the character. It just felt really, really raw. Um, he's not likable. He might be a bit bipolar, the way he moves from being so happy and and just charming and then super violent the next mo moment. He has some redeeming qualities, but of course these are not enough. He can be sweet, he can be gentle, gentle but the demons, he d it just they take over and unfortunately love alone, it, it does, it's not enough. Um, he definitely could have used some anger management therapy. Um, I, like you said, the cinematography was incredible, the direction was very, very well done. Nicholas Ray, apparently he was in the middle of a divorce from Gloria Graham um, when they shot this film. Which is yet, I think, another example from uh, that from great things come from a lot of pain, I think. And I think that kind of reflected in, in the ending. Um, it, it leaves you with this gut-wrenching feeling of sadness and understanding that despite a great deal of love, just happiness is not guaranteed. Um, maybe he wanted to project some of the divorce heartbreak from onto the story. I think that's how I read it. Um, the cinematography was also, I thought it was exquisite the way it just, the way they lit, um, Bogart's face and just showed all the shadows and, and the wrinkles and like the sadness and just misery on his face. Um, it was done by Bernard Guffey, who was also known for, known for Bonnie and Clyde, from Here to Eternity and The Harder They Fall, which I believe is Bogart's last film. Um, final note, I loved I loved the character of the drunk thespian. I thought it added another layer of bitterness bitterness to the story. Not that it needed it, but I just thought I thought it was very yeah. Again, I really liked, I think their, it, I really liked their relationship, the you know, just Yeah, because it was just I think it was like, another Brandy, mate, yeah, all right, thespian. Yeah. I love it. I, I thought it was more of a thing they kind of understood each other because they were both kind of kindred spirits. They were, you know, the Thespian had the problem with the drinking and he had the problem with the violence. And they were both kind of past their peak, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, I, th I just, it's it's one of those really great film noirs that are not really film noir. They just, there's a bit more layer to it. And I really liked it. On a, um, on a, on a, like, Sorry, are you. Um, I've got no, I'm done. I'm done. I was just going to ask, like, in terms of fictional screenwriters, where would for you, uh, uh, Dicks, um, kind of be placed? I mean, you got you got Joe Gillis, Sunset Boulevard. Um, you got adaptation, Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, Barton Fink. Um, like, mm. I mean. There's there's something about Hollywood writing about having their own like Probably they like yeah. they always like writing about themselves. They always writing, like showing yeah. how they always like showing Hollywood, but there's always there's you know like you got this and then you got Sunset Boulevard adaptation, Barton Fink, uh, Robert Altman's The Player. There's there's always something inherently sinister. Um, I wouldn't say always, but with these examples, um, like there's always something in quite quite sinister about, or 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 something really yeah. troubling. It's um, you know, I I don't know. It's just quite I think it's just quite interesting. Um, 
I think it might be. I think it might be that they've sometimes they just reach a dead end and then trying to understand how the mind works. So they want to sort of put put down on paper exactly what goes on through their mind. So sometimes it feels disjointed. I mean, that's literally uh, what happened with adaptation. I mean, Charlie Kaufman yeah, yeah. literally and a bit of Barton Fink he, as well. Because yeah, he had just writer's like, block. What are you know? the thoughts like, and how, like, the stream of consciousness type thing and how it, how it all sort of forms itself in its in the mind of, of, of the writer. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Barton Fink, and, and I, I think they stand alone. Um, also... Joe Gillis, he's he. I think he's too green. He's I don't know how if I would compare him with, with Dixon Steele. I think Dixon Steele is much more complex because I think he's lived a lot and he's suffered a lot, and he also definitely needs help. He's very damaged. I think yeah. I think he's he's probably to me he's the most fascinating because if in 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 our today we where we know all this. I mean we understand that you know with therapy you could get better. Um, it would have it. It sounded like it could, it could have been a problem that he could have solved. Not, I. I'm not saying easily, but it wasn't. You know, it could have had an, a solution, not a simple solution. You, but he could have so found. So you're a way. saying that through couples counselling, um, where, Laurel and Dix would have been okay. Sorry. You're saying that through through couples counselling, I'm, 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 I don't Laurel know. Maybe Dix would have been okay. I I know. I think that relationship was doomed to fail from the start. To be honest, you think so? Mm. Yeah, because think... like he was, he shown he before he met her, he showed this violent side that came literally came out of nowhere. Yeah, and it it was like straight away, like you kind of get this okay. There's there's something yeah. underneath the surface, and that. There's a reason why he lives alone, and you know, like I don't know. No, yeah, I mean it's true, um, but I don't think yeah. It, it was just it was it was either it was whether he would have accepted a way out as as what his problem was is that he would never accept the fact that he has a problem. Yeah, that's and that's and that's what true. made it all like doomed from the beginning he wouldn't have he was too paranoid and too violent he would always be like i, I was very like it was so upsetting to see him on the verge of, of happiness being like proposing um the script he wrote was brilliant and it got accepted and yet he lunged at his um agent kicked his face in um, his fiance is scared of him. It was just like it, it could flip from one extremity to the other so quickly. It was heartbreaking to watch it. But yeah, um, shall we talk so, about break? Yeah. So for one noir to another. Um, so yeah, we're the, the second film is Brick, uh, came out in 2005, directed by uh, Ryan Johnson. His debut film, um, I'm just going to emphasize that again. His debut film, um, I have a, um, a synopsis, um, just a little brief one. Uh, a teenage loner pushes his way into the underworld of a high school crime wing ring to investigate the disappearance of his ex girlfriend. Um, 
I have seen this film countless times. I've seen it quite a lot um, over the last however many years. It's also one of the first DVDs I ever bought with my own money. Um, that and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I remember buying them both for £2 each in a bin in um, Morrison's. Um, <laughs> so yes, uh, literally I bought it because it was the DVD cover. It looked good, so that's why I bought it. Um, so yeah, I I adore this film. And I really, really... This is the first time on the podcast where I've given Danny a film to watch where I really, really hope and really think that she's going to like it. So, Danny, <laughs> what did you think of Brick? Okay, so I'll start with the positives. Um, good music. It, it, it sort of the music came at me from the very beginning that it was, I felt it was good, it was good music. The direction was very good. Um, cinematography was very good um good acting throughout particularly um uh, let me see if i can pronounce this right lucas haas lucas and, haas yeah yeah and nora zehetner 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 sorry butchered sorry. Heard that name nora zehetner um her fan fatal was almost worthy of a bridget o'shaughnessy um and i just i felt it lacked something um i don't know it was the emotion that it lacked i don't know some bits worked some fell flat uh i think there was too many of too many different genres put in together there's some deadpan elements there's slapstick i mean all the times he gets punched, stabbed, beaten up to a pulp. I thought it might be funny for someone, not me. Um, there's satire, of course, and of course there's the noir element. I know I'm, I'll be sounding like I'm plagiarizing Mark Hermode when I say this, but it feels like it doesn't know what sort of film it wants to be. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, the, the noir element made it indicated it like the, the film wanted to take itself seriously. Which kind of made the funny bits in that pop out not work all that well. Um, I'm I'm curious as to know what the funny bits are because I well I don't, it was just like, like you know with bit... the scene the scene with the mother the like the the pin's mother that was funny and it, there were bits that were funny the you know the the way the way that uh, was it Tugger the way that he runs towards him it just like it just it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be slapsticky. It just that's how I understood it. That's how I read it. it I just it just didn't work. Um okay. I thought it was a good film overall. I just wasn't all that invested. I mean, I think it kind of lost credibility as it was going on because there was no authority involved. Like the, who what kind of vice principal lets his kid go <laughs> underground? Seriously. <laughs> I had I I wasn't all that invested. I mean, I went to high school and it wasn't like that. And I'm sure no one can say that it was like that. Yeah, but like, uh, like I can I finish? Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> you, you can you can you can defend it once I'm done. No, no, no. That's right. You carry on. 
um, it had references to the Maltese Falcon to the point where the ending is almost frame by frame as same as the Maltese Falcon, and I just thought that was funny. That had to be that had to be done because it was funny. The funny bits were in in the attic where the pin has his dungeon or whatnot. I thought that I thought that was very dead deadpan funny slapsticky, uh, where he walks with a cane and he's dressed like a vampire. It had to be funny. It had references to Clockwork Orange, and I thought, you know, they perhaps they cast Lucas Haas intentionally because he looks a bit like Malcolm McDowell. It had references to City of God, except that I didn't find the narrative as, as strong as City of God. Um, where are all the parents? Where is anyone from? I mean, how kind of... If you ever found your ex-girlfriend dead, would you just hide the body? And not cry and not do anything. I mean, you know, definitely find who did it. But I would definitely go to the police and just have all the evidence with the notepads and everything. But that's is just it, me. Is it safe to say that your suspension of disbelief, it, it kind of didn't No, happen? but it, it had to be some sort of, I don't know, credibility. I mean, you know... Ugh. I loved... I mean, I would have loved to have seen more the movie from the perspective of Pin's mother. I thought that would have been an incredible film to watch. Um, other than Pin's mother, Laura was the most interesting character, the femme fatale. Where were, I mean, the big mansion party towards the beginning? Whoa, what kind of, where, what kind of parents does she have? She obviously had an agenda from the get-go, the femme fatale she is. And I, I kept thinking it was all just a plot to remove Emily, the ex-girlfriend from Brenner's life altogether so she can get at him. Um, and one final note, which I didn't know exactly where to, how to understand it, how to interpret it, but I thought it was heartbreaking for me, um, was there was a scene towards the end. It, it was uh, in Tugger's bedroom. There was a baby picture on the wall and it just made me sad to see it there it made me sad it made me sadder than all the ultraviolets that we had seen up until that point because it kind of given you it gave us the idea that you know this person this horrible person right in front of us used to be a child once and what went wrong um so i kind of felt sad for him at that point um but yeah uh defend away oh so like i don't know where to start um <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can pick at any of the threads that you've untangled and kind of retort quite clearly, but whatever why did you, you like it? Is, well, I mean, I kind of understand why you liked it. I'm not dismissing all you, what you said. I'm not really not. I, it, what you've done is all um, perfectly valid, and I can I, I can really see where you're coming from. Um, so the issue, the thing that me is that I. I I watch the film and I don't I don't know if I don't get the humor but I don't find it funny if that makes any sense. Um Okay. You know the way Tug I didn't find it funny either but I read it as wanting to be mum, funny. You know it it just it doesn't it doesn't come like for me it doesn't grab me as oh this is this is funny. Um Yeah. Mm. Uh I the the thing with Brick is that 
as a debut feature film, which it is, it is so strong. Um, and it is, it's so, it's it's got it's got traits in it which is stuff that you would expect from somebody who's been directing for, you know, a good decade or so, not from somebody that's you know this is their first feature film. This film was apparently shot for made for half a million dollars, and um, which is insane, um, because it looks so it looks so much better than that. Um, the 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 cinematography from uh, Steve Yedlin, um, who has worked with ryan johnson on every one of his films i think um you know his cinematography is just is just so good the, some of the shot compositions are, are just excellent i really really are um yeah i'm trying to trying to think of other ways to talk about the film without kind of so just say what you like what what you like about it the most i think it's like the way it kind of subverts the the classic high school tropes as it were so you get the jock you get the nerd you get the outsider you get the popular girl we see the drama club the high school party the vp's office but all of it is kind of in this world of hard drugs murder sex betrayal and crime um you know that the 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 stylized dialogue um reminds us that we're kind of watching something which is is a far cry of like the john hughes films of the 80s or you know like you know the american pie gross out teen comedies of the late 80s early 2000s that, that this film is is kind of um i would almost argue a reaction against um did you, how did you, how did you find the the dialogue because like a lot of people i speak to on first viewing you know they um kind of struggled for yeah. quite a while with i had to i had on. to rewind a few times because i couldn't understand what they were saying and i just yeah it was just a bit fluffy fluffy yeah, it was just like too much slang that I didn't understand that I was trying to sort of under make make out what exactly they were talking about. Um so yeah, it was I mean, I got, I got the gist of it, but sometimes some some parts of the dialogue were a bit yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe I kind of I kind of understand what so the feeling of the high school was. Sorry? I thought that it was it was intentionally done to to make us sort of get into the spirit of the teenage years of that's how people talk. Maybe. Yeah, I didn't really thought. I didn't actually think of it like that. I just, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean. So like we we kind of got these. We go back to the cinema talk. The, the the visuals for a second. There's like a blue green tinted edge to it, which kind of. It without without being black and white is as close to noir as it can get visually. I think. Um, no, that was. I mean, visually, it was it was stunning. Yeah, um, you know that they got this like the the Dashiell Hammett like structure is the you know the crime filler kind of involved you know in unravels in front of us the viewer, um, 
that is played in this in the familiar black drop which i thought was really 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 good um you know it's constructed in a way that the showcases both the film noir and a high school film um you know it 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 goes head first into something we we recognize and we are so familiar with but we we have to be we almost forced to stand and look at it from an uncomfortable distance as it were you know which are, you know which is i think you know down to the dialogue and and down to the you know cold performances of 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 all the all the actors um yeah i just didn't feel very engaged with with the i mean i like joseph gordon levitt but i just felt in this that he was very too too out of himself too deadpan too I don't know. See, I, I I found him. I found I found his Brendan to be confident, assured, mature, um, and which is kind of something. If he was I, any more mature, he would have worked for NASA. <laughs> I think it was like, very. I mean, yeah, you're yeah. right. I, I I think like it's it's for for me like I'm a big I'm a big fan of Joseph Gordon Levitt, and I think like this performance in here is kind of something we've we've almost become accustomed to now um you know in in 2012 he was in another um ryan johnson film called looper and he is so good in that um no he was much better in that than in in this i found say again he was much better in looper than in this i found okay okay i mean i think i think this is i think no no i i think no i i think they're two different performances and i think because you know he was on you know, third rock of the sun for God knows how many years, and I think his first, maybe his, I think one of his uh, his breakthrough roles, why it was a film called Mysterious Skin, um, which I haven't seen, but it's from what I can gather, it's about um, like coming out as a as a gay teen. Um, he's in that, and I think this is his kind of like his second breakout role, as it were. Um and I, like I said I've, I've I'm a big fan of Joseph Gordon Levitt and um I, I I really I'm quite you know taken with his performance in this um you know until like you know Nora Zahetna as Laura she is just absolutely wonderful oh I she's mean, brilliant she, she pulls off you know the delicate yet seductive yet very manipulative woman you know that aspires to be something more than just like a pawn and a user you know like. I never I thought mean, I never perceived her as as delicate. I'd always saw her as the, the quintessential femme fatale. Or I think when I when I say delicate, I mean her. her f- I I think her, her frame, like the way you know the way she looks. Uh, I don't know, like that's what I mean by delicate. Like you know, there's even uh, I don't know. <laughs> No, just say it. Whatever you. I mean, I know you. It's one of your favorite films, so. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I. I understand why. I do. I do understand why. Um, it's not a bad film by any by any um standard. It's it's a good film. It's just it, those bits that I I was not very invested in. Um, and I think yeah, I think probably my problem was that I I, I thought, yeah, I didn't have enough suspension of disbelief. It just felt think, like, yeah, like if if all the characters, they were, I mean, at least the pin and and Brendan and the brain, or if the brain was real or not, we don't know. Brain um, is real. Like, why wouldn't he be real? 
Well, I've been reading about it, and they say that he might be just imaginary friend or something. Really? Yeah. I mean, look at someone said on on Reddit or something, and then oh, yeah, Brian cause... Johnson commented that um, it was one of his favorite comments or something. Yeah, I think I yeah I think Ryan Ryan Johnson's I think he's just playing with that to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, um uh, but I mean, who was that clever in in high school? Who was that like grounded? All right, okay, and, all right, and, okay. Well, you know, what about what about like what about all these teen gross-out comedies of you know American Pie? Who is so stupid to stick their dick into an apple pie? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah but it yes, happened. it happened. It happens more than more often than you think. All right, okay, all right. Bro, I mean, have you not then, ever watched like, She's News? There's, I mean, I've read once on the news that this guy stuck a, a, a tall champagne glass up his arse. So yeah, there's, right, okay. there's lots right. of idiots. All right, <laughs> but I think I think this this world is very is very different to the high school world that we're so used to. Um, yeah. You know, like when we think of high school films, we think I think the the prime example, the the the, the best high school film is the breakfast club without a shadow of a doubt and i was thinking about the breakfast club and it was it was yeah i kind of the thing is i i might i might have been just ready for something like the breakfast club which is maybe that's why i wasn't invested maybe if i watched this film again i would appreciate it more but this was the first time viewing for me so this these were my first impressions on the film what i what i what i find kind of links the two is that both of them have the tropes of you know like i said the job yeah. nerd the outside of the popular girl you know we see you know it's all set in the library breakfast club but we, we even see we see the library in brick for example you know um and we but we get yes. the, we get the football field at the end but we also get the football field in this whereas in in the breakfast club you know it's the triumphant ending you know you know, simple minds plays, and it's yeah, the fist pump. The, you know, it's a, a, an amazing, <laughs> iconic moment. Oh, um, I want to watch that again. In... Sorry, I want to watch the Breakfast Club again. <laughs> yeah, so do I, actually. Um, but the, the, in Brick, you know, we've have the ending in the football field. It's just too dark. But simple moments in, in, in won't not play. in a good way because no, I love dark it, films. It's not a triumphant ending, and the way it ends is exactly how it started which is that a word is uttered. We don't know what it is. You know, at the start, we hear the word brick, but we don't know what brick is. Whereas at the end, we we don't know what the word is spoken by Laura to, to, to um, Brendan. And I... yet we kind of get the feeling that it's waiting to be untangled, you know? Like, it's... He says, oh, she said a dirty word, but I don't, I don't think, think she, she did. said that. I think she said something else. I thought it... she said that... I thought she you know. said that the kid might might have been his. Yeah, I mean, like that 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 reveal that Emily was three months pregnant. I don't. Do you do you think that she was just being manipulative and vindictive, or do you think she was actually uh, telling the truth? I don't think she was. I don't think she was telling the truth for one minute. Um, I I think she might be incapable of telling the truth. Um, by that point. Um. I don't know. I but I think she might have just told it to him just to spite him. That he it was it was his baby after all. Um I don't know. Maybe. 
because uh, by that point she knew she was, she was going down, so she yeah. might have just, you know, stir the shit one more time. Um, a few other things I've just got left to say really is that I really, really, I've been a fan of Ryan Johnson's for a long time since <laughs> since Brick, and um, I've been sort of muzzled by trying really hard not to go off on one about a certain <laughs> film, but. Um, he his filmography is is so diverse, um, and it's so strong in each different genre that he gives, in my opinion. So in Brick, you've got the the film noir crossed with the high school film. In The Brothers Bloom, which is a fantastic film, it's a con film, um, and it's got fantastic performance from Rachel Weisz, Mark Ruffalo, and Adrian Brody. And Rinko Kikuchi is actually the scene stealer in that film in the film with those actors Rinko Kikuchi is a scene stealer and it's it's, it's absolutely phenomenal and then he did Looper the time travel film where he successfully managed to convince us that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was a young Bruce Willis yeah um, <laughs> I, yeah I, I really enjoyed that film actually and then he did a small independent film called Star Wars The Last Jedi um, I, I was is... waiting for you to say that. I was kind of like, okay, how long? How long can you hold it in? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the second best Star Wars film. And you can leave your hate in the email. I, I'll be happy to hear it. Um, but Star Hang Wars on, which one is that one? Is the, best, is the second best Star Wars film. Sorry? The Last Jedi? Yeah. Was that the one where there's a, there's a topless um, Adam Driver? Yes. 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 Because yeah. that's the middle. That's the middle one from the from the new ones. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's the, I it's... really liked. I really liked that scene very, very much. Um, <laughs> the, the thing, yeah. I wonder why. Um, the thing about like, I, I am last... a big fan of Adam Adam Driver since since Girls since Girls oh, same, season one. Same, same. <laughs> um, He's yeah. incredible. I love with, him so much. With the Last Jedi, is that what really gets me is that he understands star wars better than any i think anybody bar george lucas and um and uh what's his name oh god lawrence kazdan um who wrote um who created han solo um but what thing with the last jedi is that it is the best looking star wars film it is actually stunning to look at the scene shot on crate um the salt planet with the the way the um these little junker kind of speeders go across the 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 salt it, you know and the red is revealed underneath it looks as though the film that is bleeding the planet is bleeding and it's it's so wonderful to look at um and i think that's like something really quite there's a follow-through with all of all of um ryan johnson's work you know i think it's a credit to his cinematographer uh steve yedlin um and then you know last year he came out with knives out which i put as my favorite film of last year it wasn't bad um, the murder it mystery wasn't bad. i mean it was it was it was a very good film and i'm looking back and i'm thinking of of chris evans and it's just so it just makes me smile <laughs> chris evans and the sweater is 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 it's just know, brilliant it's just amazing um, um, yeah it's just i i 
I've never been a big fan of Chris Evans, but I think that film might have turned me into a fan of his. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think with Knives Out as well, is it does exactly what Brick did, which, uh, not Brick, um, in, a, in a Lonely Place did, which it, it reveals the ending way before, well, before, you know, we're yeah. kind of supposed to know about it. Before the end. Um, yeah, before the end. And it kind of, you know, shifts the film a little bit. So, I yeah, start, uh, Ryan Johnson is, is in my mind, one of the, the, the best working filmmakers of today. And the fact that he did Star Wars The Last Jedi and made a billion dollars for Disney and then didn't go on to direct another blockbuster. He went and made an Agatha Christie-like whodunit murder mystery. Um, it, it goes to show that he is one of the good guys, in my opinion, in working in Hollywood. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I'm I a big I fan of Ryan Johnson. I'm a big, big fan of Ryan Johnson, and I really look forward to whatever he works on next, whether it be the um, Star Wars trilogy he's currently writing for Kathleen Kennedy, or the Knives Out sequel that we're going to get with um, Daniel Craig oh. as um oh, what was his name i'm gonna have to blanc? look this up is it blanc something Laure- ben, uh, hang on benoit blanc benoit blanc benoit blanc uh uh yeah so we get we're gonna get another benoit blanc film which is so good um i don't yes, know how so, i feel about the accent though it just kind of and, annoys uh, me which kind of leads me to kind of finish off by saying that brick is such an assured debut film that i honestly do think it's one of the greatest debut films ever made um and that puts it in a category which reservoir dogs dare i say it citizen kane um it is such Don't a say st- citizen kane it's Please. such a strong Come on. debut film it's i'm not saying it's in the don't same don't touch league. orson don't you dare touch orson I'm not saying it's in the same league as citizen kane i'm just saying that it's was a very, he, was it's he one in of the 20 strongest years debut time? films ever made Okay. okay. I do um, not disagree with that. So, yeah. Brick is a film I absolutely adore. And I'm honestly so happy to be t- uh, happy to have talked about it. And it, it honestly, it's it's good that you haven't fallen in love with it. Because then it would probably make a, 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 um, a boring conversation. Uh, us just gushing over two films, one after the other. No, that's true. So yeah, that's very true. Oh, um, any more praise for Brick? Um, no. Uh, uh, well, Nathan Johnson's score, uh, syncopated score. I said is... it was just it. It drew me. It drew me in from the beginning. It was. It was brilliant. Yeah, his, he's his... he's cousins with Ryan Johnson, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, uh, he's he's worked on nepotism. Part... He's worked. He's worked on everything apart from Star Wars, which is obviously John Williams, but. Um, his score for Brothers Bloom is fantastic. John Lucas Williams never really heard good. of him. <laughs> uh, his score for Brothers Bloom is really good. Looper's really good. Knives Out is really good. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. That's us done with noir, isn't it? For cool. for, for, for for another week, we're, we're probably going to do another noir film at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's so much noir that we haven't touched on. Uh, but yeah, what have you got on for next week? Nick, tell us. Next week we're talking about phantoms. Ooh. Not, not. Hang on, the it's ben not Aff- Halloween yet. Well, when I say phantoms, I don't mean the Ben Affleck film. Um, um although Affleck okay. was the bomb in Phantoms. What phantoms um, are we are we talking about? 
<laughs> we're talking about the 1925 original silent film uh silent horror <laughs> film phantom the phantom of the opera directed by robert julian starring lon cheney senior excellent. excellent i have to say lon cheney senior because there's two of them there's um, two of them and we will be talking about that with phantom of the paradise 1974 directed by brian de palma um mm. a musical rock opera slash horror slash wow exciting some something amazing um so yeah looking forward to that so yeah danny um where can we find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at kino joan and my website is kinojoan.co.uk We've um, also got a new Twitter account, Kinotomic. Please follow us. Comment, it, I wanted to us. say that. <laughs> you, sorry, you can say it. No, no, no. Obviously. No, 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 no absolutely. Fine. It's you. Go, go on. Go on. Sorry. Um, you can, no, you can edit that uh, bit out. So you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Nick S. Chandler. My website is superatomovision.com. Uh, like I said last week, I have got a YouTube channel. I've got another video on there, which is just a, an ADSA I did uh, in my first year on uh, Miami Vice just a two and a half minute video on on the use of it's like a super cut on the use of blue in the cut in the film miami vice which i'm going to watch that second episode um no i think it was third third second. episode it was second episode. second episode um so yeah give that a watch uh leave a comment like subscribe what have you we have a twitter account um at kianotomic um please please follow us um we'll be posting kind of all the podcast information on that and then we'll use our own kind of personal twitter accounts kind of just to retweet stuff from it and um uh we we may be working on an instagram we're going to see how the twitter account kind of goes for the next couple of weeks um and then go from there uh we do have got still got our email keenatomic at gmail.com um, one last thing is that we reached 300 downloads over the weekend so thank you everybody for listening um, obviously this is still early days from us we've still got lots planned for you guys in the future um, but like I said I, I want to thank you everybody who's been listening so far and hope you stay with us um, so yeah it's a thank you from me and thank you from me see you next week bye